Hello, and welcome to Women Developing Brilliance. I'm your host, Casey Rossi. It's my great pleasure to present interesting stories of creative women sharing their message and lighting up the world with their presence and offerings. Get ready to be inspired. You can learn more about creating a business that you love by visiting kcrossi.com. Enjoy. My guest today is Canadian startup CEO, Catherine Dahl, who heads an industry-leading accounting automation software company known as Beanworks. Catherine's entrepreneurial efforts show a clear pattern of determination, resilience, and careful execution. Not only has she built a thriving company, but she has been instrumental in securing the funding, partnerships, and team members necessary to scale. I'm so excited to dive into this conversation with Catherine. I hope you enjoy how we really dig into core values and how being proactive and persistent is paying off. Enjoy. Catherine, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. I want to start off because you're in your Vancouver office and it is vacant. So I want to talk a little bit about the current status of the global pandemic and all of our social isolation and things of that nature. How are you dealing with it all? We're doing pretty good. We have an online application as it is. We kind of never wanted to be tied to a desk before all of this. And we have people that work in other cities in North America as well as in Europe. So we've been sort of geared towards online for quite a few years now, actually. So the trick was more the equipment, just making sure that staff had, you know, the mouse, the keyboard, the extra monitors at home. As I mentioned before the interview with you, I was in Mexico when this kind of all fell apart and I came home and I couldn't just work off my laptop or so I thought. I have discovered that I can work from my boat with my laptop now, so it's not so bad. (laughs) I love it. I love it. That's awesome. You know, we are positioned so well when we have a diversification channel of Online. So I know a lot of people have scurried trying to go through the learning curve and convert their business or part of their business because of COVID-19 to online. So kudos to you that you're positioned in that way for sure. Tell us a little bit about how you got it started in your work. I know you have 25 years of experience. What got you into the world of finance and accounting and account management and all that good stuff? What got me into accounting was I actually went to Ryerson University in Toronto in the late 80s, early 90s. And I had taken at the time what was called a Bachelor of Applied Arts in Hospitality and Tourism Management, which was pretty much a BCom style education, but very focused on a specific industry. And years later, they had uh, actually converted the program officially to a Bachelor of Commerce. So that's actually what I ended up getting. I worked in the industry for a number of years and then realized that the hospitality business is kind of a, it's a lifestyle choice that was really not conducive to, if you wanted to say, have kids, <laughs> which yeah. I did. So after a number of years of doing that and realizing that situation, I moved from Ottawa to Vancouver. And in there, I changed industries and I moved into the dental industry, which was getting into office management and trying to get into business. And I happen to have a friend who pointed out to me, there was a program at the time called Certified Management Accounting that seemed to fit really well with the type of work I really enjoyed doing, which was I like data-driven business management, and that's really what I had been doing. I was in the management program with the Olive Garden, 
ended up being in the kitchen management side of the business where I was focused on understanding costs, understanding how to drive costs down and how to increase profitability. And I really found that stuff energized me. So when I uh, realized that's what I wanted to do, I went back to school in uh, 1998 while I was working and having children and renovating and buying houses and doing a little bit part-time so that it was a little bit more than full-time. But it took about five years. And in 2003, I got my designation, which is now called a CPA. And then I worked in industry for a number of years before looking for an opportunity while my kids were young to work from home or work for myself. And I ended up working for an online services company called Letters Online here in Vancouver. And they were connected to this bean services or so it was called at the time company that was doing online. They really call it online, just automated payables software. And I had started in accounting in an accounts payable clerk role to get my cyclical accounting experience. So I was very familiar with how painful that process was. Mm. And I was super, super keen on eliminating it because I just, I hate waste. I call myself the lazy accountant. The idea of the time it takes to count the data so you can do something with it is what really needs to shrink. Mm-hmm. And so I, I could see that back then. And so I got involved in the company back then. That was in 2009 after a couple of years of trying to get traction at that company. And this was like before cloud accounting was even a word. You know, nobody was in the cloud. I counted them what the cloud was. We had such a huge mountain of education. And even then, we had our own servers in our own office at the time. So this was like really early days of this, of all of this. Way too early, really. Yeah. <laughs> For the laggard accountant market. But at the end of the day, that company had some financial issues, even though it had traction in customers and had to be closed down rather abruptly in 2011. Six of us banded together and restarted it two weeks later and the rest is history. (laughs) Wow, cool. Amazing. I want to know about resiliency and how you relate to that because that sounds like a lot of shifting and pivoting and really having confidence to say, okay, we're going to pivot again. And even to have the courage and confidence to band together with six other colleagues only two weeks after the close. Talk to me a little bit about what it takes to be a resilient entrepreneur. You definitely have to have a lot of tenacity. So I see the tenacity in my children and find it annoying, but realize it as <laughs> a very good trait. You need to really subscribe to the philosophy of a phrase that was actually in the office of the CEO of the first company, Jared Levitin. And it just said, never, 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 never give up. And I read that every day that I was in his office. And I also had professionally pronounced to the world in published articles in the CPA now, but then CMA world, that this was the future of accounting, that that this type of work was going to get automated and you'd be smart to do it now versus later. And I'm stubborn, maybe pride. (laughs) And to a degree, really just the customers, the customers that we did have, which were local customers to a degree. I'm trying to think who we had. We had a couple of uh, clubs in, in Florida at the time, or one, no, I think we had one who was really loved the software. And so she kept recommending it to other clubs so that we would, she'll be many years later because I sent her a thank you. And I said, I don't know where we'd be if you hadn't continued to recommend and refer our business to other people because we had no marketing budget. We just had to kind of sit online dormant for a while as the old company. And she said to me, I didn't want you guys to go away. So I wanted you to have customers. So she kept referring. That's awesome. Yes. And it's a testament to you and your work though as well. When you start to get raving fans that do the marketing for you, it truly is a testament to how you care for them and the quality of results and service that you provide for them. So that's amazing. 
Yeah. And in the early days, we used to jokingly say we had to love our clients to loyalty because the first version of the software was a little bit unstable. We kind of called it like fixing the car while people are in the car, we're underneath it, <laughs> it constantly. We had to do that for about a year and a half while we built a new, stable, better version of it, then move all the customers over. And we, we organically grew anyway over that time period. So we had about 20 customers with 52 companies because each of these customers were multi-entity. We had 52 different databases at the time, which seemed like a lot migrated from a single database tech platform into a multi-tenant platform, which is a very challenging thing to do. And you don't want to do it at scale. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. One of the things you mentioned was that you have an eye for efficiency and being able to see where there's gaps in a system or procedure. And I'm wondering how you apply that skill set into your daily life or your personal life. Oh, my house is never clean enough. That would be in my personal life. My uh, boat is never shiny enough. And work, there's just always, we have four core values at Beanworks. And laughingly enough, they spell the word bean because we're a bit fanatical about bean counting. So a beantrepreneur, which is that tenacity, that ownership spirit, these are the core values of the core four active founders who are still in the business. And this is why they're the core values of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, exceed expectations altogether, which is more of the way we treat our customers, our staff, the way we treat each other, the way we treat our vendors. But the most important one is to never accept the status quo. And that's the one where everyone in the company is encouraged to keep looking for better, faster, more efficient ways to do it. Our product strategy is less clicks. I'm such a huge fan of the Kaizen philosophy, which is never ending improvement and it dovetails right into N. What was B in your acronym? Well, it's really B an entrepreneur. So we call it beantrepreneur because we like to beanize everything. So got it. I think, you know, when you can have company values that one, we don't just like write out our mission and vision statement and then it collects like digital dust on one of our you know folders on our computer, but that you actually see it and it ingrains that groove into our mind. It gives everybody on the same page. And I think it's really interesting that you said that the four founding fathers or mothers. <laughs> We're equal opportunity. We're a very diverse company, 50-50 and the company 60-40 as in 60% of my management team, senior management team is female and 50% of the founding team is female. I think just having them all on the same page, and you probably revisit those values over and over again. How important is it to you and to the whole that you stay in alignment to those four key values? Well, we talk about our values every week. So we have an all hands every Friday where we celebrate customer go lives, and we also celebrate value activity in the company. So we have employees shout out to other employees, something they did that exemplify one of those four values. So it's super important. We subscribe to the Rockefeller Habits philosophy and strategic planning method of scaling up, which really talks a lot about the core values and culture at the heart of anything. You know, that's the whole phrase everybody knows, culture eats strategy for breakfast. You need a strong culture, especially now. We are in the lucky category of people who've been practicing these habits now for a number of years. And we have such good rhythms and such ingrained culture that we just flipped to online like that. It took us one day and we were all fine, just some equipment, but even the equipment thing. In our Entrepreneur Values, one of our managers, Natalie, she just got in her pickup truck on her own. She put a message out, who needs equipment? She went into the office, she picked up the equipment people needed, she drove around their houses and dropped it off. That's the kind of thing that when you hire, and that's the trick too, is you got to hire for the core values. So when we hire people, it's taken us quite a few years to hone in on the top grading methodology part of this where you really use the core values to hire the right kind of people. You want to see that they have the skill set, obviously, but if they are good at what they do and don't have the same core values, they don't fit. And it's very hard to 
very fast. And then they're not a players for your company. Then it just all becomes a mess. I would love it since you are dialed in. If you could share with our listeners and our viewers, if they are not quite dialed in, if maybe it was always the best intention, but it never really got off the ground or it never solidified, what is your best advice for them now in this state to come up with a plan or to simply bring in core values? What would you guide them on? I would say the first thing, if you haven't read the book, read the book Scaling Up. There's three books that really got, they all come from the same kind of source. It's all Rockefeller Habits based. And the original book was called Rockefeller Habits. The more modern one, which is released a couple of years ago, is Scaling Up. Three Hagway by Shannon Sisko. Vern Harnish wrote Scaling Up. The Metronome System and Three Hagway, both written by a gazelle coach herself, a Shannon Sisko serial entrepreneur is from Whistler, a BC, and is a coach. But she augmented some things and pulled some other business systems like Michael Porter's uh, Five Four and a few other cultural systems together to create the metronome system, which is a framework to help you figure out how to get this built. A lot of the details are in these other books like Scaling Up, so you do have to read that one. And if you're struggling, I joined a group here called Ace Tech that ran educational programs on this stuff so that I could learn as a CEO how to do it. And then when I got to a certain phase where I was struggling and not able to get a lot of the habits in that I wanted, I got a business coach who was certified and trained in this. Best thing I ever did, Shannon had one. She had one in her early days and she was very successful at selling two fintech companies with fantastic returns. And she also is now just doing phenomenally with her coaching business and her metronome platform that she uses to help guide it. But yeah, I'd say those are the key things. You got to read those books and then you start to see how you can implement these things a little bit. You know, you don't do it all at once because you crush everybody, but without any help, it took us probably 18 months just to sort of start the process. We got a coach in place that really changed things a bit. And absolutely. Those other two books are only like The Three Hegway, which is more of a recipe book for strategy. If you want to know how to build a good strategy or company, that book tells you exactly how to do it. It's literally like a recipe. Follow it in the exact order that the ingredients and the instructions are written. <laughs> but you've got to read the other books to understand some of the ingredients. <laughs> it's, I love it. That's perfect. Thank you so much for sharing. I'll put the links in the show notes as well so people can get their hands on those resources. I think it's always really valuable because it's never too late. Like no matter what year you are in business, it's never too late to start implementing things that are going to like serve you for the long haul, keep your head on straight, get you more grounded and also have improved communications with your team. Even if it's a team of one or two, even if it's just you, I know a lot of the listeners are solopreneurs, but they may have a VA in place or they may have a small number of support staff. It's still equally as important to have your mission and your vision and your core values like dialed in and communicated. Wouldn't you agree? I do. I did go to business school and mission and vision words are kind of old school terms. Like we don't use those. So core values, yes. And the core values need to be very memorable and short versus the traditional model, which we started out with that, where we had like eight core values. Nobody could remember them. And they're like the fluffy ones, integrity and, you know, like, okay, who doesn't have integrity? So core values in this new methodology is quite different. It's about understanding what drives the owner of the business or, or the core founders of the business or the core management team of the business, depending on who's running it. And the smaller you are, the easier it is. The bigger we got, the harder it is to get the habits to be maintained and ingrained and cascading. Mm-hmm. We have a core purpose and we have a B hag, a big, hairy, audacious goal. And then we have a three hag, which is a three-year highly achievable goal. That starts the whole process that then turns into annual priorities in one year that comes down to quarterly priorities in 90 days. And taking that and cascading those priorities down to the frontline people is actually really hard when you have a lot of people. So if you've got a team of three or four or two, this is way easier to implement. I like that a lot. I love keeping it simple. Four is just like a nice magical number. It's easy to slot into. 
Did you ever just wish there was a group of high vibe women entrepreneurs that you could hang out with? A place where you could share your wins, get a biz question asked, and be around people that just get you. Well, there is my friend. It's my Women Developing Brilliance Facebook group. I created a place on the web where like minds and open hearts could continue the conversations that we start here on the podcast. Fulfill your desire to develop friendships with women from around the globe, women who are on the solopreneur journey just like you. Now more than ever, we are craving authentic connections. Believe me, your voice matters, your work matters, and having the support of a close-knit community can make all the difference in the world. So head over to Facebook and go to facebook.com slash groups slash Women Developing Brilliance and request to join my private Women Developing Brilliance Facebook group, the gathering place for heart-centered female entrepreneurs looking to create an impact, increase their income, and connect deeply with themselves and others in the process. I can't wait to welcome you in my Women Developing Brilliance Facebook group, where you'll be encouraged to introduce yourself, ask a question, and meet other ambitious lightworkers just like you. Again, it's facebook.com slash groups slash Women Developing Brilliance. I'll catch you there. I actually, I'm very curious on your thoughts of mission and vision being passe. Talk to me a little bit more about that. A lot of people don't understand what's the difference between a vision and a mission. For me, I think core purpose is very clear. Why do we exist? That's all it is. And that's really usually the mission. But And then it can be very simple. Like our core purpose is to empower accounting teams to succeed. That's it. And we can do that a lot of ways. We choose to do it by automating payable. <laughs> it does give us the option to automate some other things in the future should we decide to do that. But it does drive our behavior. So our, that's our goal is to empower accounting teams to succeed. Less clicks helps that by not making more work for them. We're trying to make it easier for them. We're trying to get rid of stuff they don't like doing. We're trying to empower them to do their actual job, which is not data entry. I've been quoted this before. It's not why I went to school. I didn't go to school so I could try the keyboard and key in invoice day, due day, you know, <laughs> bonkers. And it did drive me bonkers in the first job I had. I couldn't take it. I was like, ah. And I, I know it was interesting because it's funny when we were chatting off being live, I was thinking, wow, this is a really dynamic lady to do such a boring job, but, <laughs> but you bring so much life and passion to your work and it's like you've made this work come alive. So it's really interesting. Well, the core purpose, right? So when we celebrate every Friday, we have the sales development rep, the account executive, the customer success manager who rolled them out all stand up in front of the company and explain how we did our core purpose for that customer. When you do that, the entire company realizes that these are real people who are very expressive when they're grateful and also not, but they are quite good at saying, this really changed my life. And I'll tell a short story where I had a couple of years ago when one of the hurricanes hit Puerto Rico, we had a customer who was like the devastating one. They were a Sage customer because we're white labeled under Sage. And they reached out to us and said, we just lost everything. We lost all our documents. We lost everything. And, and even though like, you know, there's all these people worried about getting water, food and power, the accounting team's actually worried about doing their job still. And you mixed all of that craziness. They were like, how do we do our job properly? And how do we get our restaurants back online? So it was a restaurant chain. And so they were trying to figure all this out. And they said, well, one of the things we could do is stop having all of our accounting and documents 
humans at risk every time there's a hurricane here. We need to automate and get it in the cloud. I asked them to send me an email to explain that so I could share it with Sage because the story that this our, our employee told was so touching. It was like yeah. it brought everybody to tears. It was like amazing. And you're and so I'd look around and go, yeah, so you don't think we're saving babies? We're saving mm-hmm. babies, man. This is an important mission that we have here. This is why we're here. We're here to help those people. And yeah. we tell those stories every single Friday. And some of them are repeated. People are just happy to be off the desktop and have their documents uh, solved. But we had one of them in the coronavirus say that it reviewed us, I think, on G2 Crowd and said, at least now I see paper that could be having coronavirus on it is no longer going to get passed around. So I thought, wow, okay, I would not have taken it that far. But (laughs) yeah, it's unbelievable. Absolutely. I love that you bring those stories in. And we're so driven as humans by the emotion right? It's not about the framework and the black and white and all of that other stuff, the linear stuff. It's such an emotional driver. And I think that that's how you keep a cohesive team and you keep wanting to improve. That goes right along with the end of your acronym and the Kaizen philosophy too, of just like never ending improvement. And how do we do that? We keep people in the loop, in our stories, heart opened, like the goosebump chill stories of the kind of results that you're getting. I love that. I also know, Catherine, that you're really passionate about supporting other women in tech and female entrepreneurs. Can you share a little bit about that? I think it's kind of funny because when I got into tech, I, I didn't really mean to get into tech, first of all. So 2009, it wasn't like a cool thing to be in tech. This was right after 2008, you know, things weren't good. <laughs> so raising money was really difficult. And, and the tech scene in Vancouver was almost nothing back then. It's very, very limited. It's not like it is now. Okay, hot, cool, tech, everything's amazing. But it was definitely not like that then. It was something interesting. It was something new. But I was coming from normal industry. I worked at CBC Radio. I worked at Grey Worldwide Advertising. I ran a small cultural center here called the Italian Cultural Center. So these were all normal industries that I'd been in for years, including the restaurant business, where diversity existed already. And it's what I was used to. Okay, there's a little less diversity in Vancouver in, than, say, Ottawa and Toronto, where I'd come from, in terms of population and the way it's distributed here, But because sure. uh, it's a little strange, because sort of be pockets of cultural separateness. <laughs> but even then, I was just really shocked when I joined the tech space and I got involved in, our company was quite small, but when it fell apart and we had to restart and I had to get out there and learn how to be a tech CEO, I was stunned to find there were no women. I was like, what? Oddly enough, it's just something that in my life I've always been, maybe I'm just determined to change things. But when I was a young kid, for example, in junior high in Halifax, Nova Scotia, where I'm originally from, the girls took home economics and the boys took industrial arts. And you didn't get to choose. If you were a girl, you were learning how to sew and cook. And if you're a boy, you got to do woodworking, drafting, and silk screening. And they were, were across the hall from each other. So after one year of being forced to cook and try to sew, which I absolutely hated doing, I was like, I would prefer to be doing what the guys are doing over there. My mom and I had to go sit with the principal and get special permission for me to go do it in the following year. I love that. Then three of my girlfriends joined and then the next year, four more. And then the, some of the boys went over the other way. I've kind of always had this like fairness thing in me that just because I'm a woman, I shouldn't be limited by anything. I shouldn't be told I can't do something that I don't want to do just because I'm a female. It doesn't make any sense. And so coming into tech and finding that there were no women, I was just really surprised. So at the beginning, we had two female founders and two male founders. In fact, at one point, my male founder, Reza, was the only man on the senior leadership team. And he was pointing out to me that it was all women. And I was like, oh, 
you're right. Got to fix them. <laughs> so <it's> <laughs> the leadership team a little. You know, there are less women developers out there, so you have to really work at it in order to get female developers. So you don't have the entire company's female and all the developers are male. Where we're pretty close to 50-50 in most departments. Our finance admin department that I was pointing at earlier that's vacant is almost all women. Just my head of finance is male, but and that allows me to sort of offset the mostly male dev team. But we have a female head of engineering, and that helps draw more women to the company. And obviously, having a female CEO helps a lot. People see me online. That's why I like to do as much as I can to put it out there, too. So it's part of our active recruiting strategy to attract strong female leaders, strong female Beautiful. staff, and keep it as balanced. It helps. I think it's helped. It's led to our success. We're going to come through this COVID thing just fine. A lot of other companies are not. And I know that the diversity of thought in not just gender diversity, but we're very culturally diverse. We have people from all over the world. We import people from all over the world. Mm. Uh, work so us. important. And we're just seeing that. I mean, you're the perfect example. When you look at like resiliency, flexibility, learning how to pivot, Obviously, tenacity and determination. I mean, you can tell that you've done a lot of foundational work with the core values and it's making a difference. And you're able, like you said, to shift in a 24-hour period where some companies unfortunately may tank and other companies may experience stronger growing pains and pinches. So Mm -hmm. a lot of really great takeaways for people to implement or even just get inspired, right, by what you're doing because we're seeing the results of all of those qualities kind of like you're collecting the fruits of your labor now during this crisis time when a lot of people are chasing their tail or falling down the rabbit hole. And I do feel very proud that we are part of the solution for what's currently going on. You know, a lot of our customers had to quickly go online just like us and they weren't ready for it. And the new customers that are signing up, we're actually having a pretty big uptake in sales right now. But our existing customers also said, hey, we were just happy that in the transition to online, this was one thing we didn't have to worry about. It was already done. So thank you very much. And we've gotten a ton of feedback like that. And then part of our A value is, you know, if those are customers of ours who are struggling and, and are having financial difficulty, we are finding ways to make it possible to keep the service until they can get out of the crisis. That's the sort of thing that we're doing to try and make sure that we continue to empower our accounting teams to succeed. And I want to loop back to that earlier question you gave me about mission and vision, because the mission being the core purpose is what I said earlier, but the vision is really this BHAG. It's like, what do you want to be when you're 20 years from now, 30 years from now? You don't put a time to it in this model. Our BHAG is to be the essential tool to half the world's accounting teams. And we know we're an essential tool to our customers. And the more accounting teams that get to use us, the more we become their very essential tool, even more so than their accounting software, because we bolt on to the accounting software. We're embedded in the workflow of the whole organization. Beautiful. Well, this is really fun. I learned some new information. I think people are going to be very inspired and get really motivated to put some core values into place or maybe relook at core values, bring them into the light. Maybe it was an exercise that they did and completed a printable and then filed it. So it'll be really kind of a nice reinvigoration to either create some core values or get reminded and also engage in some conversation of how they can come alive in their business. How do they delight their customers even more and weave those values through and through so everyone's on the same page? What exciting things do you have coming up for the rest of 2020? We are super excited because we're adding a new module to the platform. I laugh because ironically, the module we're launching is maybe not as useful right now. It will be again someday in the future, which is uh, expense reimbursement. <laughs> so okay. When people travel, <laughs> which they're not doing right now, but we'd already started the project. When people spend money at home that's related to the business, they can still process their receipts in a smoother, easier way. So that new expense module is coming out. Cool. Uh, 
help our customers out and to help different types of customers that would have found just the payable side of it to not appropriate for them. So that's coming. We also partnered with a company in the States called Invoice Pay. And we just launched that integration to help get off of a paper checks, which is actually quite relevant right now. So for customers who want to stop sending and receiving checks, they need to go digital on their payments. And so we are working with Invoice Pay now in a fully integrated platform with theirs. It allows a customer who signs up for it to use our platform to push out all of their payments digitally or through checks that they don't have to touch. So they don't have to go into the office and sign them, which is something that's nice. Right I love it. It's stays right in line with your time-saving efficiency that you've built Beanworks on, which is amazing. It goes right in the vein of progressive and proactive wins at the end of the day. So beautiful. If you wanted to leave everyone with a little bright light wisdom before we close up, what would you like to share? Well, I think our company has seen a lot of diversity in our own small world, not like we're seeing adversity, not like globally, like we're seeing right now. But I think at the end of the day, the phrase, this too shall pass has always gotten me through a lot of troubled times. And this COVID thing will pass. The world will eventually return back to relative normal. There'll be a vaccine. Something will happen where we can get back to being humans again. And so if people are at home isolated and feeling lonely, my message to them is this too shall pass and we will all get back to giving each other high fives and hugs in the not too distant future. Absolutely. And for now, we're lucky enough to be able to take advantage of the technology and be like we're right across from each other, having a cup of coffee and sharing with our friends. So I like it a lot. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Absolutely. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode on women developing brilliance. If so, head on over to Apple iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And I'd be grateful if you could leave a review or rating so more people can benefit from these inspirational stories about the solopreneur journey. Thank you.